Welcome to the Life Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us for another hope-filled message. We pray that you're encouraged by this powerful word from our Sunday service. Sharon and I have just come back from a camp. So anything I say today, you need to check me out because uh, when you don't get a lot of sleep, it's amazing what comes out. When I used to pastor Edge Church, when I used to travel overseas and came back jet-lagged, uh, the church loved it because I never made sense of anything I said when I preached and, and, and told all the bad jokes and so on. So Paddy said to Mick, are you allowed to tell Irish jokes these days? Because everything's cancelled now. You don't know what you can say or can't say. Paddy said to Mick, I found this pen. Is it yours? Mick replies, dunno, give it here. He then tries it and says, yes, it's my pen. Paddy asks, how do you know? Mick replies, that's my handwriting. Sorry. I'm nervous telling dad jokes here now because not everybody laughs anymore, you know. It takes a while to get that one for some of us anyway. On Thursday, I prepared my message because we were going to be on camp Friday and Saturday and felt this real sense of what I want to share today. And part of what I want to share is that we can live free in 23. We can. There's a lot of stuff we carry we don't need to carry. And we can live free. And I went off to camp and the speaker at the camp starts Friday night saying, God ordained us for freedom and starts speaking into the themes of what I wanna share today. I don't know how you judge your success at what you do, but as a pastor, you ask yourself, is what I'm sharing helping? Is it bringing help to people? Is it really setting people free? I'm not particular, I'm not the kind of person that is into just the formation of the sermon. I wanna have a word that can help people go where God wants them to go and live free. As I travel around this country and talk to a lot of pastors, I sense there is a new fresh hunger in a lot of people to go deeper in the reality of who God is. We're not churchians, as I've said many times, we are. Christ followers. And there's a sense of a renewed hunger in so many that we don't want something that's not authentic. It has to be real and it has to make a difference in my life. I also sense a godly dissatisfaction. People are going, if this is it, there's gotta be more. If it's just turning up to church, singing a few songs and going home and still having issues with our friends and criticising one another and, you know, um, having a great sense of rumour, is that all there is? Is that what it's all about? Is that what Jesus died for? And I sensed a new renewed desire and I believe there's a, a coming back to embracing God's pattern and purpose in a fresh and new way. You know, in life, we can approach what we do three different ways. You can go to work every day and just see it as your provision. I've got to pay the bills and I've got to, you know, look after my family and feed my family. Other people are driven by extreme prosperity in the sense that I've got to make lots of money. I've got to make lots of money. I've got to have things. I want to have them all before I'm 40. And, and some people live for prosperity. I spend a lot of time with non-Christians who are friends of mine and most of them who have the prosperity are not as happy and I'm not being self-serving here, but they're not as happy as I am. And they say it to me, we don't have what you've got 
Because there's another way to live and that's living with purpose. God put us on this planet to live with a purpose. Today, because humankind has this desire in them without even realising it, put there by God to live for purpose. If we don't find the right one, we give first class allegiance to second class causes. Today, you just go online and you see people dying for things that you think, really? Because you gotta serve somebody. If we don't serve the God of the universe, our Creator, we'll serve somebody. We'll serve self and end up in a place that it's not real good. Now there's times in our lives we all need to work for provision. We gotta pay the bills and put food on the table. But that's as Christians on our journey to find our purpose. And when we find our purpose, and it could be in the same place that we find our provision, then we get prosperity. And my definition of prosperity is having enough to do the will of God. Having enough to do what your purpose requires. If you need $10 million to do your purpose, well, May God prosper you to have that. But there's one other thing that as Christians we have access to and that is we also have promised to us the presence of God. We can live in 2023 with God being present with us in our prosperity, in our purpose, in our provision and He is there with us in all seasons of our life. I've said it many times from this platform that when I got cancer, God gave me peace. He gave me that sense of purpose, but I knew He was present. I knew He was with me. And there was something you can't always put into words, but you know, is a reality. God created us for purpose and this year, we can have His presence with us in that purpose. Even Jesus in 1 John 3, 8 says, for this purpose was the Son of God manifest to destroy the works of the evil one. Do you know the enemy's got a purpose for your life? What's to destroy you? He wants your marriage destroyed. He wants your life confused. He wants you to be bitter and angry at the whole world. I have to turn the news off now. Never used to have to do that for the rubbish that, the media puts out that's purpose to brainwash us. And so I believe today with all my heart that we can live in freedom and we can live with His presence with us. I've entitled my message, Increased Presence. I'd like to read a passage of Scripture in Revelation 3.20 before we go to our main story in the Bible. Now in Revelation God speaks to seven major churches in seven cities in the book of Revelation. They were cities. The church was every Christian in that city. If Jesus was to write a letter to Adelaide today, who would He write it to? Would He write it to Life Church? Would He write it to the Baptists? Would He write it to Holy Trinity Church in the city? Who would He write it to? He'd write it to every believer in the city. Sometimes we go off and create our denominations but God never had that intention for His body. He didn't say, I'll build all your churches. He said, I will build my church. And now He speaks to these seven churches. And what I love about it is every time Jesus speaks, He starts positive. He says to these churches, hey, you're doing an amazing job here. You're doing great here. You're doing awesome there. But these are the things you need to look at. 
Now, the verse I want to read is found in verse 20, chapter 3. And I'm trying to look for it. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door. Did you notice he says, I stand at the door and knock. And it doesn't say, if you hear my knock. He says, if you hear my voice. Sometimes we feel God's knocking. He's trying to do something, but we don't stop enough to hear His voice. It's not enough to hear the knock. We gotta hear the voice. There's a lot of shaking going on. There's a lot of knocking going on. But even for Christians, we talk about the knock, but we don't stop to hear the voice. And right now God is speaking, I believe, to His church. In this city, I have the privilege every week to mix with different churches. This week I'm with two or three different churches and I don't see them as different churches. I see them as different expressions of God's church. But with them this week, I'm gonna say, are you hearing the knock? But are you going ahead and opening the door to hear the voice? Because we need to hear the voice of God. And so earlier in this passage of Scripture, and I wanna take a long time on it, He speaks to the church at Laodicea. He's knocking on the church door of the church at Laodicea. And what used to happen in the city of Laodicea is they used to bring water into the city by underground water ducts because the water wasn't good. So they would come in from underground nine kilometres out of town and they would bring this water into the city. The trouble was if you drank it when it was cold, it was soda laden and you would get sick. So if you drank it, sorry, not when it was cold. If you drank it when it was lukewarm, I repeat myself uh, again. When the water is lukewarm, you drink it and you get sick. And he says to this church, you've become lukewarm. So I'd rather you hot or cold. Now, when I was growing up in church, I thought hot was good, cold was bad. But in this passage of Scripture, both hot is good and cold is good. He's saying when the water is cold, it's refreshing and you can drink it. When it's hot, it gets rid of all those toxins and you can drink it. But when you lukewarm and so delayed and I'll spew you out of my mouth, the Scripture says, but he's using the illustration that people in Laodicea would vomit if they drank the water when it was lukewarm. And he says, I'd rather you be cold and refreshing or hot and warm, but not mediocre. And I'm not having a go at anyone this morning, but just saying all of us, me first. God has taken us to a place where lukewarm Christianity is useless. Honestly, it is. Ain't got the power to blow the fuzz off a peanut, honestly. Sorry. (laughs) Camp days, I used to say that at camps. We either need to be cold and hot because our faith has got to be real. People don't want more religion in Australia. They don't need it. And I spoke at a funeral just the other day on Monday and in that funeral service, I said, listen, I'm sick of religion because religion is a set of rules that people try to live by without God being present in your life, living His life out through you because we are cold and refreshing. We are hot and warm. We're close to what God wants to do. And it's not perfection. I say it all the time. It's direction. It's a desire. And so as I said right at the beginning, There's a new sense of hunger. There's a godly dissatisfaction because we don't want the status quo. And there's a renewed desire. So for a few moments today, I wanna talk about a story in the Bible. In 2 Kings chapter four, of a lady who was a wealthy businesswoman. And she said to her husband one day, listen, 
you know, the prophet of God keeps dropping in for a meal every now and then. Why don't we build a, a room on top of our house so he can come and stay? The man of God in this Scripture represents the presence of God. It represents God being with us. She understood that this was a man of God that brought God's Word. And and let me say this today, she did not want him just to come for visitation. She needed a habitation. She didn't want just an abiding God, sorry, didn't want a providing God. She wanted an abiding God. So, So a lot of people go to church to get a little touch. But what about if we can have every day Him present in our lives? So He's not just a providing God, He's an abiding God. He abides with us, He lives with us. And this woman, let's read the Scripture in 2 Kings 4, verse 8. One day Elisha went to the town of Shunem. A wealthy woman lived there and she urged him to come to her home for a meal. After that, whenever he passed that way, He would stop there for something to eat. She said to her husband, I am sure this man who stops in from time to time is a holy man of God. Let's build a small room for him on the roof and furnish it with a bed, a table, a chair and a lamp. I'll stop there for now. She was a wealthy woman. Later on, it says that her husband was an old man. The only mention her husband gets in the Bible is he was an old man. Fancy that. My name's in the Bible. I'm the old man. (laughs) She was a wealthy woman and she had all the things that money could buy. She had provision. She had prosperity, but she was missing out on a bit of purpose and certainly not the presence to the fullest extent. So she says to her husband, this is a holy man of God. He drops in, but maybe we need to go a little bit further and do something a little bit more permanent. Let me give you some keys today that have helped me in my journey with God to provide that room, to provide that room for God to be present in our everyday lives. I said to a pastor the other day, I said, the first church I lead is the one inside of me. Do you know I have a congregation? I know it looks like it. (laughs) I have a congregation inside of me. There's people in there that talk. They sometimes tell me you're useless. You're getting too old, give up. One day you're gonna collapse on the platform. You wouldn't believe the stuff that goes through my head, especially when I feel sick on a Sunday morning. And I have people in my congregation attack me. And I have people in my congregation encourage me. The words of those that have spoken into my life. I have to deal with a very, very serious situation this coming week in a particular church. And I'm at the camp and the speaker of the camp says, as I was flying into Adelaide, God gives me this word. And it's a word that you're gonna be like an arrowhead. Something's coming up where you're gonna be like an arrowhead and you're gonna burst a boil because otherwise there'll be infection in the body. And totally equips me with something that Pastor Tony and I this week need to deal with in a particular church. And I'm saying, God, how do we handle this? What do we do? I don't wanna press too hard and be pushy, but I also don't wanna be too soft and not bring the Word of God. And God brings a total per- a person that knows nothing about the situation. See, the presence of God brings the purpose of God, brings the pattern of God. And in our lives, we can lead our own congregation every day, not just when we come on a Sunday and come to church. And she says to her husband, We need something a bit more permanent. 
We need to make room for this man of God to not just visit, but to stay. In the room, we just read, there was a lamp, there was a table and chair, and there was a bed. I remember when I first read this a few years ago, this particular part of the Scripture, the thought that came to me is that the lamp speaks of revelation. In the Bible, it says, when we turn on the lamp of God's Word. I've said it so many times in this house that the Bible is not just a a book of devotion. It's a book of direction. And when we take the lamp of God's Word and then we sit down at the table and write down the application of that revelation, then what happens is we can go and lay down on a bed of rest because we know once we've done our part, after God has instructed us, we can live in a rest and a trust that takes us through whatever comes our way. My encouragement in 23 is please, please get a journal. If you don't journal, check it out. Read a passage of Scripture, write down in a journal what you feel that passage is saying. You're never gonna have a wrong answer. And as you start to take the Word of God and eat it and chew it, it becomes a place of habitation in your life. And you don't live by three weeks ago sermon. You don't have to go and listen to all the stuff on, uh, online to be fed because you are getting direct turning on the lamp revelation so you can sit down and write down the application for your own life so you can rest. It's the only way I could handle our son's death. It's the only way I can handle the cancer journey. It's the only way I could handle those things is to just keep turning on the lamp and sitting at the table of application so I can rest on the bed of relaxation because God has got it. And so this woman did some things that I think as a church we can do this year. And so number one, is a hunger for God's presence. Number one, hunger. Do you know when you are not hungry, you don't eat? As Christians, it's the opposite. When you're not hungry, you need to push to eat. When we're spiritually not hungry, that's not the time to say, well, I don't feel like eating. Because the enemy will keep you not wanting to eat. You go one week, two week, three week, and after a while it gets normal, I just can't be bothered. And God wants us to make ourselves hungry by choosing those who hunger after me. God won't do the hunger for us. He'll put desire in us, but we have to do our part and say, I am going to get hungry. I've decided to read the Bible uh, through in a year and I've started uh, just at the beginning of this year and boy, there's some boring bits in the Old Testament and boy, there's some stuff that does my jolly head in and I'm reading this stuff and I go, what on earth is this? But I push myself not to skip over it and read to get the discipline that no matter even if I read stuff I don't understand, the God who's behind all that can put impartation in my life and there's bits that I've not understood and then in conversation something comes up and what I read two days ago, oh, okay. You can't use a computer if there's nothing in there. You gotta put stuff in so you can dial stuff up. And I really believe that this year we need to hunger as a choice. So I'm gonna hunger after God. I know I am at this camp You know, I'm the pastor, I'm the leader, I'm speaking. But there were moments I had to just as a human being, just get God for myself. Let the tears, sometimes tears are a way of just loosening up and letting God come and wash your soul and wash your heart. And 
it's, this is not a, a legalistic statement or a, a, an expectation, but when was the last time you cried about the goodness of God? When was the last time we cried in worship because He means so much to us? And so I believe, number one, this woman shows us the principle of hunger. Number two, and this might come strange, is hospitality. Hospitality. Now you might say to me, what's that got to do with it? Everything. I was in Melbourne speaking for World Vision. I was there with uh, the leader of World Vision, Tim Costello, a few years ago. And we're having a meeting and coming to speak at that meeting was the great theologian N.T. Wright. Now, those of you that have not heard of him, he's one of the world's top Bible theologians. He happened to be speaking at this breakfast that we were having at World Vision. I'm sitting there at a table and opposite me was a Baptist pastor and he sort of started joking with me and he goes, you're not gonna understand anything this guy's gonna say. He goes, because you're a Pentecostal and it'll just be totally over your head. He goes, this guy's too deep and too theological. I wanted to hit him, I've got to be honest. I said, who do you think you are? Thinking just because, uh, and he said to me, he said, you're that church that does all the hospitality stuff, you know, and all the food stuff. It's a great job, we hear about it. And as if to say, but that's all you do. But when it comes to deep theology, you haven't got a clue. I was really, you know, the fruits of the Spirit had to step in real quick and protect me. (laughs) N.T. Wright gets up to speak behind the podium with a real English accent, you know, English gentleman sort of accent. And he stands there and he goes, I I don't know what you're expecting from me today, but I'm gonna give you one word that describes the entire Gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says, and I cannot find a better word than this word to describe everything about Christ and His Gospel. And he said, and that word is hospitality. (laughs) I felt like going there, stick that in your pipe and smoke it, but I, I was too Christian to do that. And I was confused. And then he said, do you know what the Gospel of Jesus is? It's the hospitality of a heavenly Father who says, come home to Dad. All you who are broken, all you who are messed up in your lives, just come home to Dad. That's the hospitality of the love of God for God so loved that He gave. And I felt a prophetic word for our church and I'm gonna share it. I will submit it to Pastor Tony, but uh, if I was wrong, then I'm really in trouble. But anyway, hospitality is not just about food. Hospitality is giving ourselves to others and food is part of it. When I started Edge Church, God said, make hospitality a spiritual weapon. And I started to go through the entire Bible and found all through the Bible before God spoke to Abraham, He cooked a meal for the angels He didn't know were angels coming to visit Him. They were total strangers and He prepared the best food He had and He brought out the best wine because it's the heart of God when we give ourselves to others. And this is the word I felt, and I want the team to judge this too, about life, is we're gonna about... We're about to talk a lot about discipleship. And you know what? The first step, if not, it can be the full step of discipleship is hospitality. I'm with people all the time around food and the conversations that happen that you don't plan that create moments of discipleship. And so I have a friend who's not a Christian and I've been spending years, Sharon and I uh, have great friendship with him and he'll ring me up and he goes, I think I had one of your God incidences. He used to call them coincidences. 
But now he goes, I think that was a God incident. I'm discipling just by having food and friendship with the people around me. And I believe this year, if you say, what's my purpose? Well, every single Christian has been given the gift of reconciliation, where we can reconcile people back to God and back to each other. You don't, if you don't wanna open your home, take someone out. Use time to build people up. The Bible says, as we see in Hebrews 10, 25, as we see the day of Christ's return coming, stir one another up in love and good works. In 2023, you will live free if you live others oriented and become a hospital, a hospital, a hospitality person. Let's be people that others are more important than us, that we give ourselves to others. It's a cup of coffee, it's a sandwich, whatever, but it's not about the food, it's about the giving of ourselves to others. This lady will find out, I can't go back and read it because of time, but you'll find out that this lady could not have a baby in this passage of Scripture. She wanted to get pregnant and in those days it was shameful if you didn't have a child. And she couldn't get pregnant and she never complained. Where was God when I didn't get pregnant? Where was God? We, we, we blame God for so much stuff. She doesn't even think about her pain. She goes, how can we make a room for someone else? If she was a hyper faith person, she would have built a room and made it a nursery in faith. I'm gonna build a room with a bed and pink walls or blue walls or whatever, or these days they might have new colours for other types. But anyway, uh, you know, uh, sorry. <laughs> Camp, didn't sleep. Let's build a room in faith. And maybe if we step out and build the room for the baby, then God will give us a baby. No, my dream doesn't seem to be coming to pass. So I'll help somebody else with theirs. I'll make myself others oriented and I'll reach out to others. And so number one, hunger. Number two, hospitality. Number three, honour. She understood that this man was a man of God and that she honoured him. Maybe it's not in the Scripture, but maybe deep down in her heart, she thought, if I honour God, if I'm hungry for His presence, if I've given my life in hospitality to others, God will take care or whatever my issues are, which is actually what she said later in the story. Number four, hard work. Hard work never killed anybody. Sometimes, why doesn't God do this? The people that always say, why doesn't God do this are the people that are in church once every six weeks. Honestly, we gotta do our part. We gotta position ourselves so that we can be where God can pour out. It, it, this is not about salvation. It's because we're already saved and we've received that wonderful gift from God. So we position ourselves and sometimes it's hard work. When I pastored my own church for 20 years, it was hard work preaching something different every Sunday and keeping people happy. It's hard work. But hard work when it flows from having been in that room where the light's been turned on, the revelation comes. And you position yourself by being others oriented. The number of times that people will knock on our door and it's just tiring. You think, oh, I wish I had a night off tonight. But then five minutes into helping them and you realise helping others does something for you and fulfils your own life. And this lady understood these principles. She had a heart for others. Number five, which has already been mentioned. Number six, she handles hurts in a godly manner. Go and read the story because of time, uh, we haven't got that much time. So 
When you go and read the story, you'll find that Elijah says to his servant Gehazi, let's do something for her. She's done so much for us and built this room. Find out what we can do for her. She says, I don't need anything. She goes, my family looks after me. I don't need anything. But they find out she can't have a child. And so he prophesies to her and says, nine months from now, you're gonna have a son and you're gonna have a child. She goes, don't, don't tease me. Don't do this to me. I don't need anything. I'm okay. I'm not hanging out. I'm just trusting. But nine months to the day, she has a little son. And that little boy was a gift from God. But you know, one day when he was about 11 or 12, something like that, he's out with dad on the farm and he gets a massive headache. And so he says to one of his servants, take him back to his mother. That's what most fathers do. Take him back to his mother. You know, I don't know what to do with him. Take him back to his mother. Joke. And so he t- can't even use that joke now because you know, <laughs> man alive, I'm old school, aren't I? And so the boy goes home to mum and while he's sitting on her lap, he dies. Can you imagine what would go through your head? I never asked for this. I never asked for this promise. I never asked for this dream. I get given this child not having asked for it and now he dies. You'd be pretty ticked. And you'd be ticked at God. You know how many people are ticked at God because they have something they thought God promised them and then it gets taken away. I spoke with someone yesterday that God had given them a word for a business and they did do the business journey and now the whole thing's hit the wall. That's the test. If God gave you the dream, He has a way of resurrecting it in His time, but you gotta trust Him. And so what she does is she calls for a donkey to come. That's not another person. That was a donkey to come to be able to get, that was her taxi, that was her Uber, to come and pick her up and take her to the man of God. But while she's going to the man of God that promised her the baby, the servant of the man of God comes first and says, what's the matter? And she goes, everything's fine. I'm gonna stop and say something that's not a doctrine, but it is a reality. Sometimes people want from the church what only God can give them. And Gehazi was the servant of the Master. The church is a servant of the Master. We're not the Master. And she knew the servant didn't give me this dream. Elijah did and I wanna go to him and him alone. And she didn't rest until he came. Elijah sent his servant to put a staff on the mouth of the dead boy to see if that would work and it didn't work. And she said to Elijah, unless you come. You know, my friends, when God puts a dream in your heart, unless He comes, when the dream seems to have died, nothing's gonna happen. And because of time, I'll rush ahead. But listen, Elijah comes to the boy, takes him up to the, the mother, takes him up to the room that she'd built for Elijah the very place where the presence of God was that she identified was the place where she takes her boy and puts him on Elijah's bed. And Elijah comes in and he lays on the boy, touches his mouth, touches his eyes and touches his hands. Can I prophesy? Can the musicians please come? Thank you. Do you know God's about to touch the mouth of the dead church again? He's about to touch the eyes of dead Christianity again. So not only we will speak properly the Gospel of Christ, but we'll also see clearly and then touches the hands of the boys, which hands talk about serving. You know, we've got all these holes we've got to plug at the church and we need five people on production and we need 10 people on the creative. No, we don't need anything. We need a people 
whose mouth has been touched, that was once not speaking properly and now has the life and breath of God speaking through it. We need eyes that are open to see what He sees, not what the church asks for, but what the person who introduced us to the presence, His own presence, what the presence asks for. And then our hands to serve. I've been serving Jesus most of my life and I do get tired. And people say, when are you going to retire? Well, I can't help it. My mouth's been touched. My eyes have been open. My hands have been opened out and I can't say no. And so what happens is the boy comes back to life. And so the dream dies. She could have thrown rocks into that room. How dare you go up there and pray and tell me I'm going to have a child. And then he dies. Friends, if you've got a God that makes sense to you, then He's not God. We can't take the God of the universe and put Him in a box of our understanding. But He gives us enough understanding. Non-Christians say to me, what about this? What about the end of the world? And what about the Antichrist? And what? I don't care because I've got my five things that I know are non-negotiable about God. I know He's real. I know He died for me. I believe in the resurrection. He saved my life. He's equipped my life to walk out this life with my eyes open, my mouth speaking and my hands serving. And there are times when we die. Everything around us dies. Don't tell me when we went through what we went through with the family that that wasn't a moment of death. How do you go from dedication of a child on a platform to then die? If you don't have eternity planted in your heart, where do you go from there? We've run out of time. There's so much in this story. But you know, we're going to close this meeting by doing one thing. I'm not going to put pressure on anyone, please. Just If you feel that this year you want more of Him present through hunger, hospitality, hardworking is not something that kills us. The Bible says fight the good fight. If you're going to fight, that's hard work. But fight the good fight. Fight for your marriage, not against it. Talking to someone yesterday who told me some of the counselling people in their friendships gave them about marriage and life. And it was totally disgusting. These are people that go to church. Go to church. Yeah, well, the world's changed. You're never going to get that again. We're not called to make a God into our image. We're called to rise up to Him. And it's real and it works. And as I was praying for us, I was quite emotional on Thursday praying for us. I saw a picture of many of you that can to come and stand here as an act of worship this morning and say, I'm not asking for anything. Do you know altar calls are not in the Bible? Why aren't we having more altar calls for the sick? Because the trouble is we've got too many altar calls for people to come and receive rather than respond. And the altar calls that were first by man invented were for people to come and lay their life down and die for the cause of Christ. They weren't come and receive. Now we do pray for people to receive, of course, and we want that. But if that's all an altar call is, you will never alter your call. And so what we're going to do this morning is not pray for anybody, but just open this altar for anyone that wants to come and say, and say Lord, I choose Jesus. I choose to build a room for You this year in 23. I want to live free in 23. Let's stand to our feet right now. Lord, I want to live free in 23. I don't want those things to hold me back that are going to destroy my life and just live a life of existence. And as we start singing, I choose Jesus for my family. I choose Jesus. I'm going to open this altar for just to come and worship together. 
Can we just make this the upstairs room the lady built this morning and say, God, we make room this year for You. We want You to be in our lives this year, present in all that we do. Thanks for listening to this podcast. We trust that you're encouraged by this powerful message. You always have a place to call home here at Life and we invite you to join us for our Sunday services at our Adelaide campus. If you'd like to know more about Life, then visit our website at lifeadelaide.org or download the Life Adelaide app and stay connected.